0: John Copenhagen and Al Warren heard on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles 102.3 FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs.
2: We are back and now joining us uh, author Douglas Birchall. Thank you for joining us in the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
2: Okay, now your new book coming out here, November fifth, uh, "Harvesting Shadows." Um, uh, let's 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 tell the uh, audience a little bit about what that is.
1: Okay, well, uh, this is a novel. This is a story that details the experiences that one family, I would say, endured during their time in a. Uh, a haunted house in Salt Lake City, um, but I, th- I think to call it a haunted house is almost—it's—I it's, would say these people were victimized by whatever was in the house, um, and this is this is me telling their story. Uh, they hired me basically to to document what they remembered and to uh, to bring it to life. I guess is the best, yeah, best so, way to describe so, it, so to speak, as it were.
2: And <laughs> so, so uh, let's let's start with you now. Tell us a little bit about you. Um, where did uh, Douglas start? How did you get into uh, this? And how did they find you to uh, to write this or to talk about this?
1: Well, I started. I've been a freelance writer for about ten years now, um, and I started off writing articles, uh, short stories. You know, press releases and and, and kind of video game reviews. Um, I ended up working for Frogware's game development studio for about, I'd say, five or six years. Uh, All telecommute, they're a Ukrainian based company. And when the Civil War in Ukraine happened, or the Russians invaded, you know, however you want to look at it, uh, that was kind of the end of that. So. I I bummed around for a bit until my wife said, you got to start doing something or you're going to go crazy. (laughs) Um, And I thought, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, I can pretty much do whatever I want now. And I've always had, always had an interest in the paranormal ever since I was a child. Um, And, and oddly enough, I just started, you know, Googling and checking the job boards on the off chance that somebody was looking for somebody to, to tell their story. It was really weird. And, I happened upon uh, April had posted a, you know, a job post on uh, Elance and I checked it out and I thought, you know, I'm going to try this one. I'm going to go for it. And I ended up coming in, coming in at the, uh, the tail end. She was down to like the last three writers that she was going to choose. They're all uh, like very technical, very good writers. And I told her, I said, I'm going to come at this. I'm going to, basically frame this in the form that i would I would write my fiction, and I guess it really struck a chord with her family uh because I tried to put myself in their shoes you know and and understand you know their their situation, so I submitted my writing sample and it ended up being the one they went with and uh it was pretty much a wild ride from there
2: right so now you say you uh sort of had a belief in paranormal since you were young. Uh, Did you have any actual experiences or did you just sort of find it
1: interesting? Uh, Both. I'd always found it interesting and I, 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 I've seen things, you know what I mean? Um, Like the most memorable one that sticks out in my memory is a, is a large shadow entity. One night as I was driving home and you hear people talk about these things when you read other people's experiences about something being so dark it, it absorbs the ambient light. And this thing was so dark it absorbed the light of my headlights. I mean, I'd come to a dead stop in the street and this thing slowly just passed, floated right in front of me. It had to be at least eight feet tall. Um, and it, it was so unreal that, I mean, that was from that moment I started reading. Uh, authors like John Keel, you know, Jacques Vallee, um, Barry Taff, some guys who are who are like kind of exploring other avenues other than the traditional. You know, because it didn't look like a ghost to me; it didn't look like a demon, but it was definitely some kind of thing that was out of place. Um, and and that was probably about I'd say 15 years ago. And that's when I started looking into some of this stuff a little more seriously.
2: Right. So now this story here, um, when when you first got it, like when you were first being told about it, um, mm-hmm. I, I, so you know we 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 hear a lot of stories, uh, you know, in pop culture and around the world now about sure. hauntings and paranormal and all that. It's just going on, right? Um, right, uh, right. How did you? How did you so decipher, or did you? How did you come to the point where you thought this was real? Like was was there a turning point? I mean, because you know, I there's I I get yeah. I get hundreds a day, and sure, and, and sure. there has to be a point when you're reading and you're kind of going, oh, okay, well, maybe not. Yeah, you know, uh, where no, did at, it turn?
1: At, at first, honestly, at first, I was convinced they were lying to me. <laughs> and I, yeah. I we, we've had this discussion, April and Matt and I, and because uh, there was a point where they actually asked me, you know, like, do do you believe this? Do You believe what we're telling you? And uh, in the beginning, like I said, I, I I thought they had to be lying. They had to be making this up, or maybe, you know, they were all sharing some kind of delusion. But then I started interviewing the other folks that had been involved in this, like the uh, the paranormal researcher and uh, the clairvoyant. I started looking up the real estate records and, uh, you know, finding obituaries and stuff. And I started to say, well, you know, if if they had made this up, it's been 10 years. You know, they could have written a book three times over. They wouldn't need me to tell this story. So things started clicking into place. And, and there were some other things that began to happen as I was working on this story. As I got deeper and deeper into it, um, I, I would begin, I'd be interviewing April or Matt on the phone. And, um, you know, my brother lives out in Seattle and I talked to him quite a bit on the phone too. Um, he lives out in Washington state and I get no interference. You know what I mean? Like they don't even live that far out. And, and I was getting, I don't know if it was interference or what it was, but these, these screaming animalistic voices that started to mask their voices to the point where I couldn't even understand what they were saying anymore. And I had to tell them to stop. And that happened a few times. Um, and and you know I got to the point where I started to worry like is, is this a safe project to actually be working on because it seems to be <laughs> still somewhat active and, and or there's something connected to the story or, or it's getting into my head somehow um, and you know one night I was was up late and I was worrying about this kind of stuff out on the back porch and, and I was just thinking like what if something like this came after my family what would I be able to do and it was really weird almost like as if an answer there was like. Three bright blue flashes of light that seemed to come out of nowhere and lit up the backyard just like it was the middle of the day. And like all of a sudden, you know when people say that uh, all of a sudden I had that feeling I wasn't alone. You know what I mean? Like I had that feeling and I was like, okay, all right. So either this, you know, appears to all be real or I'm stressing myself out or it's a product of my overactive imagination. Yeah. At any rate, I decided, you know, I had to keep the story at arm's length. I believe, you know, what they told me. Um, okay,
0: yeah. And,
2: it, yeah, yeah, and well, then, I guess. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, I just, there's, there, there's always that point, right? Because, I mean, you get a lot oh, of, sure, sure. you know. Um, so, now, this is in Salt Lake City. Um, mm-hmm. And um, is it in the actual city or in the suburbs?
1: It's it's in a place called the Avenues, which is right. It's not far from downtown Salt Lake City, um, and it's where some of the oldest houses in Salt Lake are, um, where some of the, the the original settlers, you know, began to build their, you know, the more wealthy ones began to build their mansions, uh, and, you know, from what I'm told, there's just about they they, they say just about every old house up there has some kind of activity. And there's some speculation that maybe the entire area is a nexus of some kind. Maybe, you know, like uh, if you believe in ley lines, that, that one maybe runs through that particular area. But it's something about the avenues. that just seems to have, you know, these the, the stories. Right.
2: Well, some you know, kind of activity. But that's kind of a, I mean, that is a fairly Mormon populated area.
1: Mm-hmm. now
2: i don't really I, I you know i have some mormon in my background but there's mm-hmm. not really a belief in um afterlife per se like that where there's ghosts and haunters sure. mm-hmm. so uh, d- does that affect them in the community itself like like you know what I'm saying i you in the middle of a you know a, a a district that's got you know a fairly popular type of you know, uh, whatever it is, it's a Mormon mm-hmm. religion or any other type of thing, and you're kind of talking out of turn, so to speak. You're saying, well, this is, uh, did that lot that, that well, pressure on them is what I'm sort, sort of saying. Like if you're, uh, like how do their neighbors feel?
1: Well, the interesting thing about the avenues is, you know, it started out very Mormon, um, but it became by the time Matt and April were living there, it was a bit more, I don't know what it was use, was Albanian, I guess. Yeah, okay. You know, it wasn't unusual to see people drinking wine, you know, on, on a Sunday morning on their porch. Right. Uh, the missionaries didn't really go up that way uh, because I think it had kind of come home to a new crowd. Um, in fact, there's a Masonic temple up around there, as I recall from what they were telling me. Um, but it's... Yeah, the, they're... As far as uh, you know the Mormon population um some of the things in the in the book you know like in, in April's early life you see like you know the bishop laying hands on her um but they they didn't they didn't really go that direction as far as like seeking uh too much help you know towards the end of this from from the Mormon community
2: right you no, know, I was just wondering because I know what it's like. And I was just wondering mm-hmm. if it put a pressure on them to to behave a certain way, you know? I,
1: I, I think, right, right. Well, I know, and you know, April's mother was very concerned about what, the way they were living their lives uh, at that point because of what was going on in the house. Um, so, yeah, they, they, there was some pressure, um, at least from, you know, the family angle. But, um, right. yeah, community-wise... I think they both worked so much that they didn't have a, a real good chance to get to, to know their neighbors that well until, you know, they started going around and asking questions.
2: Okay. And so um, so how did it start for them? Let's kind of go through the scenario. Um, uh, when did they move there, and uh, what was the first thing that they noticed that was different?
1: Well, when they moved in, um, they – I think it, it it's it sounds kind of cliche, but you know, these things they start slowly, you know, shadow out of the corner of your eye, you think you hear noises, um, you know, strange dreams. Uh but it, it, it began to to, to build with um you know, starting starting to hear the banging on the pipes, you know, stuff you can initially write off. It's an old house, you know right. what I mean. They, they make noise until you know you begin to like the like said, the banging on the pipes almost seems to have an intelligence behind it. You know you start to hear these children's voices at night, and it's, you start to pick up on it that it's not <laughs> it is not coming from a neighbor's house or outside or anything. You know, and, and your own kids aren't home. Um, but I think the, the the real turning point was when they began to see this this um, symbol on the ceiling in their bedroom. You know, this kind of like figure eight, this swirl in this this pattern, and again there, you know, we have this this phenomenon of, you know, this this thing whatever it is being darker than dark. You know, you can see it in in the darkness. You know, because it's absorbing. Like I said before, you know, like the ambient light. You can tell there's something there, and they, you know, they eventually came to the conclusion that, you know, maybe this house was haunted by a little kid, you know? Um, and they, it, I don't think they would disagree that, you know, it's a good example of what not to do, you know, trying to deal with this stuff by yourself, looking up remedies on the internet. Um, but they, they did, they read it up, you know, read up they went down to the Golden Braid bookstore, um, And they attempted to banish this thing uh, on their own and it worked. But unfortunately, it would appear that this, this symbol was actually a ward of some kind, kind of keeping things in check. And once they, um, once, once they forced it out of the house, that's, I mean, literally when all hell broke loose and things just went, you know, over the edge.
2: Yeah. And so, what was their predisposition? So, where were they feeling, um, in far as, um, were they religious? Were they, um, did they have a background with paranormal and they believed in ghosts and that? Kind of, where, where did they come from in that framework?
1: April was interested in it. Um, you know, she, she kind of had an interest in the paranormal also from a, a younger age, but it may have been part of, uh, rebellion against, you know, a Mormon upbringing. Right. But Matt, Matt was pretty down to earth. Like he was more of a, uh, technology kind of guy. You had to show him something for him to believe in it. Um, and like he, but he, he didn't go out of his way to disprove things either. Um, he kind of had a fairly open mind, but he, he didn't let himself get wrapped up in, in concepts of the paranormal. Um, In fact, when this stuff started happening, he he was more of the mind that, you know, we should just deal with this ourselves. We don't need to get anyone else involved. We don't need to become a spectacle, Um, you know, have people all around town talking about it. So he was definitely uh, also a very protective man. You know, he he didn't want to expose his family to, you know, like Parade of Charlatans and ghosts, you know, People right. who are, we know there are, there are people out there looking to make a dime off of people,
2: you know. Well, yeah, I mean, um, who, how do you know who to trust?
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. He didn't want to open his family up to that.
2: No, no, no did, they have, did they have children at the time?
1: Uh, they, April had uh, two sons, uh, Nate and Shane, from previous relationships. And Matt, you know, she had met Matt a couple of years earlier, and uh, they decided to, you know, try this family thing together, and things had been working out pretty well. Um, they were at a point where they could financially afford, you know, this nice Victorian home with with some remodeling and some, you know, rebuilding, and uh, things were looking pretty bright when they moved in. And so, now
2: it sounds like it was pretty terrifying. So after the, you know, the pipes banging and the some voices. Um, When, did something major start happening that, um, where it became a little bit more desperate, a little bit more terrifying for them? The,
1: what, uh, April's mother had come over to stay one night, uh, while Matt was out of town on a contract. And, uh, April had asked her mother to come over, help out, get the boys to school and stuff like that. And, she had set up a cot in um the youngest boy's room Shane, and over the course of the night the his closet door kept opening and you know again, that's something you can kind of write off to a a gusty home or you know an older place, but at some point something reached out of the closet and grabbed her arm and she had to shake it off um and and that was when that was when things got a little bit more intense, you know, like people started taking it a little bit more seriously. That was, you know, not long after that, they started to notice that symbol. Um, and, and, and the questions that, m- the possibility that, you know, maybe somebody's going to get hurt if we don't do something about this. But then on the other hand, you know, you're you're kind of stuck in this this mentality, but, you know, this stuff isn't supposed to happen. You know, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, was so there any yeah.
2: any significance to the symbol of eight? Like you were saying, that symbol. Did they come up with anything?
1: It a symbol you know, symbol for infinity. Uh, so the, the best that they could guess was that it was a ward, a protective symbol of some kind that someone had put there. Um, and that that was the best guess, you know, because it the entire phenomenon is not just in this case, but it seems to be open to a lot of subjection. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, haunting this experience. One of the things I noticed working on, on this project, it's a, a, it becomes an intensely personal thing. Uh, this experience that you go through almost as if, you know, and I, I, I'm just speculating here. This is something that, you know, I, had thought about like if it's perhaps it's, it's meant to teach a lesson or it's meant to open your worldview or it's, it's somehow reflects your subconscious in some way. Uh, So, I mean, it's so hard to tell, you know, in in retrospect, it, it, it could have had a lot of meaning. It could have been, you know, this is symbol for infinity. It could have been something else, but, that's the other thing. There's no, there's no definite, real definite answers yeah. as to what exactly it was.
2: Now, now, I noticed now your name, Harvesting Shadows. Where did that come from?
1: Actually, April came up with that. We were kicking around some ideas and kind of brainstorming different ideas. And um, Harvesting Shadows seemed to just actually just hit the nail right on the head uh, as far as what had happened in this house, you know, concerning... What they believed the, the the source of this haunting had been um, which was you know this this family of polygamists that had lived there in the thirties um and was led by you know this this um this man william, who was just very vile and and cruel cruel man and it, it seemed like that's what he had done there he had he had, you know he had kind of like planted misery and now, you know, it was time people were harvesting the shadows that had been left behind by his uh, abuse of his own family.
2: Family of polygamists. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, how did they determine that? Was this a sort of research or was there, did, you said you mentioned Claire Boynt earlier. Did did they yeah. did they bring something like that in or a uh,
1: medium? Mm-hmm. 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 She, they, they had had so many come to the house um, and you know, they, they just seemed to be making it up as they went along. Uh, but one in particular, Debbie seemed to home in on what they had experienced already. And when she toured the house, you know, she told them that's what she saw. She saw this, this family polygamous, um, and other relations that, that they had brought into the house. Um, and that this this man was very abusive towards his children, towards other people's children, towards his own wives, And that was the the general feel that they got. This guy seemed to have a lot of power. And I guess at the time, in the 30s, the polygamist, some polygamist families, I know it, it had been outlawed by the church state well before that, but some of them almost operated like organized crime families, as I understand it. And so it would it would seem that what she saw uh, seemed to you know fit the bill for what was going on here um, and but again, the phenomenon you know like I, my own personal point of view um, I believe something happened in that house you know there and even amongst the other people who experienced it, you know there's there's some some question as to what the nature of the phenomenon actually is. Does it pick up on what you expect it to be? Or does it feed you what it is, you know, and, and then you pick up on these elements? There, there again, that's another big mystery of it. Um,
2: yeah. Uh, you know, so they, they must have researched it some uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, did the people before them that lived there, did, were they able to contact them and see kind of what they experienced
1: or... Well, that's actually a very tragic tale there. Um, the the husband who had lived in that house before they had moved in um, killed himself. And he left a very disturbing suicide note painted on the wall of the hallway which, which said, this house murdered me. And when they did, started doing a little more research, talking to the neighbors, they found that... Um, a lot of the the behaviors that Matt had been exhibiting, exhibiting um, as as a, you know, this phenomenon got worse, were the same things that the previous owner had done. You know, standing outside, screaming at the house at all hours of the night, personality changes, um, just this this feeling of fighting a losing battle. Um, they had some limited. Contact with his wife. She stopped by one day, and and she just tales had been going around the town. You know what I mean? Like people, yeah. you know. Well, that's that's the haunted house over there. And she had stopped by one day and talked to Matt, and, and you know she she asked him, you know, you, you don't you don't think it's my husband, do you? And he said no. You know, he <laughs> the last thing he wanted to do was open up old wounds or anything like that. Um. But they're, yeah, so, so the, the immediate, you know, the occupants immediately before them had, had some kind of, you know, some kind of bizarre activity going on in the house as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. And- Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com
0: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. you have an Airbnb your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb dot com slash host
2: and so and uh, they started talking to the neighbors you said so now mm-hmm. have have the neighbors found anything unusual about the house or about their own house in the same area
1: Not too much. In, 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 a lot of the houses in the area. Now, when the paranormal researchers were, uh, in Matt Naples' house for a while, they, um an interesting side story. They got a visit from, uh, one of the guys at the Masonic Temple one night. And the guy came, had come down and he was, he was asking, like, you guys are the ghost researchers, you know, and they were just kind of like telling him a little bit about what was going on and, and he said, you got to come up to the temple sometime and see what's going on. <laughs> so it would lead you to believe that there's something else going on up there as well.
2: And and so now, now this has kind of gotten into where you say, now there's aspects of violence throughout this. Um, what were some of the violent things that happened in the house after the initial little things that were happening?
1: When it really started, um, cutting loose, I guess, was, was, it, it seemed to react directly to being provoked. Um, there were a couple instances where, uh, Matt would, would, was challenging one of these entities that he would seen repeatedly, and, and it was kind of like these, uh, you hear a lot about these, these shadow people, the Hatman, and, he, he. there was one incident where, you know, he kind of challenged anything that was in the house, you know, telling it to get out, and uh, he ended up just getting knocked across the kitchen, you know, while he was pouring coffee, the whole coffee maker, the mug, everything, just everybody would just went slamming against the wall. Um, and there was one particular incident when April was assaulted by something, you know, after work one night, she had come home, Uh, she was getting ready for bed. She noticed the shadow kind of like flittering around the staircase. And by the time she had turned around, the thing had knocked her down the stairs. And these particular entities seemed to have, uh, an ability, I don't know if it's a need. Um, but, but they seem to drain people's strength. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and and like I said, that's another that's another like wild card there. You know, I don't know if it like I said, if it was a need or if it was just like a dominance kind of thing. But um so there were there were a couple incidents where you know the the, the phenomenon was becoming more and more violent. And it it's probably important to note, at least from, from my perspective, that the the more afraid they became, the more violent it became. Uh the stronger it seemed to become. Um so it was it was you know, was, the shadows would be reaching out and, and strangling April, uh, in a couple of incidences, slamming the bed around. Um their youngest son, they believe that at at one point was um was, was strangled by one of these these entities as well. And it, it, it all seems to be this kind of snowball effect, you know. The more afraid you become of it, the more powerful it becomes the more dangerous it becomes, so I don't know if there's I'm sure there's clues in there somewhere, you know what I mean yeah
2: yeah and so so did it come to a point where they had to escape the house or leave it or uh, did it resolve eventually?
1: There were several times they left the house um when it just became too violent you know they would, and they would spend weeks to a month in a hotel and they check back in on the house and the activity would would have died down. and well maybe it's safe to come back. You know, but as soon as they would come back it would start up all over again. Until um finally they got to the point where where they realized, you know, we have to do something or somebody's going to get hurt or or killed if this go you know continues to go on. And so that was when they really started kind of like reaching out to the different researchers uh, psychics. They I mean They found Debbie, who uh, agreed to come and do a walkthrough of the house, and then eventually uh, agreed to work with them to to uh, help them free themselves, free the house of of the entities that were in it.
2: Hmm. Now that did that eventually happen, or are they still in the house? Is it everything's kind of no, they,
1: no? It's been about ten years. They moved out of the house. They um, Debbie came and did a cleansing with Matt and April and some of their family members and friends. Uh, but they were still, they were a little nervous. They held on to the house for, for a year before they sold it just to make sure that, that it was safe to, uh, you know, to do so. Um, and they, they checked up on the house, too, uh, okay. in the years that have passed. Yeah. To, to see what kind of, you know, if there's continuing activity or, you know, if it's died down. And, you know, I think thanks to Debbie's efforts, the, the activity has died down. There's still some stuff going on there. Uh, but the really interesting thing that they told me is that it, it this, this activity only seems to flare up when a family with children moves mm-hmm. in. Like, right now, there's an elderly couple living there who basically haven't experienced anything at all. Um, if you go back through the, the the sales records, you know, it's like any any family that moves that in there that has children, they don't last more than, like, three or four months before they sell the place and, and clear out. And so it seems like this whatever was in that house is, is somehow somewhat focused on, on children, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. and And so now... It looks like um, what uh, Discovery Channel did um, a little um, document on this mm-hmm. uh, uh, for a haunting in that. Um, oh yeah, yeah. D- and did it air
1: and everything on 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 their show? It, it aired, yeah. And I, I watched it. That was one of the, the stipulations for they take the project but they wanted me to watch it first. Mm-hmm. And um, I gotta say I love a haunting, even uh, though know, you know it's 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 fine for what it is. It's a one hour prime time, you know, um, battle of good versus evil with a clean wrap up at the end. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, and and that's, there's only so much you can do with that format. Right. And I think one of the things Matt and April wanted to do was to, to dig a little bit deeper into their personal experiences. Um, because all these shows, you know the things we see on on TV and we read, and they they don't show you the the trauma left behind by these experiences. You know it's easy to it's easy to watch something and just say, oh, there's some spooky ghosts you know in this house, but you don't really understand the mental and physical toll this takes on people. Um, I mean, the, the 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 Discovery documentary was was almost ten years ago. And after that, Matt and April, um, they didn't really want to talk about it, you know, because they they, they felt that they might be, you know, ridiculed or further scrutinized um, and not taken seriously. And it it, it took a while to to, to get some of the folks to talk about their experiences. And I can understand why. You know, some of them didn't want to talk about it. Some of the people that – I reached out to the – the uh, wife of well, the husband and wife that had lived there before Matt Naples. And she didn't want to talk about it. And I respect that and understand it. And uh, even Matt was a little hesitant in the beginning. And I told him, you know, I, mean, I made it pretty clear to both of them that I'm not, my job is to tell your story in the best way possible. And I want to make it as entertaining as possible. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to try and verify whether this is true or not even though I had to by the end of it for my own sanity, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And, and I think that that helped, that helped a good bit. And one of the interesting things is April kind of confided in me, you know, halfway through the project that one of the reasons that she was choosing to, to do this now was, um, it was kind of cathartic, kind of therapeutic, you know, to get Matt to talk about it again, to get everybody to talk about it again, get it out not keep it repressed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so, I guess, I guess the point being that, um, yeah, yeah, some of the shows show up and they do their, their film and leave and that's it. Um, there's no Mm -hmm. Mm fault. It's, it's, it's their real life and it's their whole life. And it goes on. And it goes on after the show, just like it did before. Yeah. And and then that is something that's missing. That's something that, um, Mm -hmm. None of the shows really do, i guess um yeah uh, it's not it's not the quick
1: entertainment, but so uh right you know, it's it's know. not as clean as they they kind of portray it to be yeah
2: yeah um well I, I guess that you got you can see it from that side, but it's it's a very good point you bring up that um uh it's become i think where people just sort of watch the shows i go. Oh my god, mm-hmm. that's really cool! And it's just out of their brain. And then the next show comes on about the same thing, and sure, they watch sure. that. So they're mm-hmm. not really thinking about the people involved. They're almost characters on a show.
1: Right? Yeah.
2: You know, it's not they, they're not personal. Like they don't really think of uh, April and Matt per se.
1: Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
2: After the show, they're thinking, "Oh, what about those people?" and and that's it. They don't really. So yeah, it's kind of a yeah. It,
1: that's one of the things I wanted to capture in the book. Was um you know their feelings, you know what what were they feeling while this was going on? What were they thinking about? You know what I mean? Um, and 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 bring some some real personality, you know, to the tale.
2: Yeah. You no, know, did you come up with kind of a um, uh, um, uh, an ideology? Did you come up with some sort of a um frame on this? as in what you could call it, like, um, you know, there's so many expressions out there from demon to to poltergeist to, you know, like there's, there's a thousand of them and there's movies and there's people, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. vampires and everything's going on. Um, did you come up well, with something that you thought?
1: For a long time now, I guess. Yeah, I mentioned like, like John Keel and some of those, you know, um, I guess less traditional thinkers in, in the realm of the paranormal these days. Uh, personally, I, I think that there's something that we don't understand yet. And I, I, like I said, I'm no expert on this. These are just, you know, my own concepts. Whatever was in this house was, was reacting to what it was picking up from Matt and April's subconscious. Or maybe they were projecting it out, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot about the human mind we don't understand yet. Or, you know, that it, or there's something in the environment and it had picked up on it and amplified it and it fed it back. But then again, it whatever it is, appeared to have a sentience to it, an intelligence. Um, that was one of the... You know, I actually asked that question to uh, Jeremy Spencer, one of the researchers who was in there. And, and I, I said, do you... Did you, do you think these were ghosts or demons, or was it some kind of higher intelligence, like almost playing a game, or was it some kind of like projected thought form? And he, his his response was great because he said um, all of the above, maybe. <laughs> the, the phenomenon is so slippery. When you think you got it pegged down, it, it's almost like it becomes something else. Yeah, you know. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. I, you know, being in the business, I find it very hard to uh, be positive about anything, and I don't mean that in a oh, it, up way. Just that when people are, mm-hmm. you know, they're calling a poltergeist thist, and then they're calling it something else. And sure, you know, everybody you right. talk to, they have different definitions and descriptions, and
1: yeah,
2: and so much of it is a, religious based, and some of it's not. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know where to go with any of it, you know, really.
1: It's. I'm a big proponent of, uh, you know, the the whole high strangeness theory and it's all interrelated maybe, you know, but we don't have, you know, there's so many different camps of study. You've got ghost hunters, Bigfoot hunters, UFO hunters. Um, but they don't communicate with each other. They don't look at the, the overlap. You know what I mean? In some of these cases where in a lot of poltergeist activity, you also have lights in the sky and vice versa. Um, a lot of these haunted houses, people have seen strange cryptids around them as well. Um, So I I think that maybe, maybe in time, science is going to, is going to bring us something new. You know what I mean? Um, You know, we've got this field of cognitive psychology and quantum mechanics. um, And, and that, that maybe they're going to show us something someday, you know, and we can, we can be, oh yeah, you know, so that's what causes that, and but it's all it's, it's speculation too. You know what I mean? Like it, the the only real way to get someone to believe in these kind of things, I guess, is for them to see it themselves. You know, especially in this day and age when you give me fifteen minutes in the internet and I can create you know any kind of ghost footage or EVP or, or you know.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's easy to do and it's cheap nowadays. So. Sure. Yeah. I mean, just just ride through Facebook yeah. for twenty minutes, and and you've seen everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I actually, I will say uh, most of it is just kind of you know to rile people or upset them. Oh sure. But it's sure. pretty amazing yeah. how creative some of these people are. Like they they can really oh, yeah. put together some stuff that's like wow you know you you've got talent, but it's too bad it's mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. just little. You gotta things. wonder
1: if they're. Yeah, maybe doing a special effects reel for Hollywood.
2: <laughs> yeah, some of it's really good, and you think, "Wow, it's yeah. just too bad it's a little Facebook article, and you're trying to piss off someone." But it's pre- sure, yeah. it's, it's pretty clever. Some of it's amazing. I'm thrilled um, at what people do. I'm, I'm glad of it, um, but um, mm-hmm. again, it makes it even more difficult to decide what's real. Um,
1: yeah, and I think that's why uh, you know a healthy dose of skepticism is also very valuable. You know what I mean. Yeah. Like we need the believers and the skeptics. Yeah, it, it, we need both, just to you know, well, just some checks and
2: balances. And I think it's like a lot of things. It's, it, it's hard to, but it's better to be not emotional um, mm-hmm. when you're mm-hmm. analyzing these things. Just like when you talk politics or religion or anything oh, like sure, that. Sure, if, if it's the ones that are real emotional that just um, no longer listen and just scream out their thought. So nothing really right. changes, right. you know. You're not going to change anything. So uh, mm-hmm. it's the same thing with this. I think that um, it's it's hard for them. For instance, Matt and April, of course, because they're involved. So emotions are, <laughs> you are mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm.
1: Sure. Yeah. But, uh, from yeah.
2: the outside, um, you got to try and not be as involved that way in that. So that's. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I you know that's. But again, who knows? I'm just throwing my own two cents in. Um, so now, so the family's all happy now. I mean. Or yeah, moved yeah on. They're,
1: they're, mm-hmm. Resolved. Yeah, they've gotten their lives back together, and and you know they've moved on, and you know things seem to be quiet now. So nothing, <laughs> yeah. So far,
2: well, so nothing followed them. Like they moved away from the house, and uh, they're not what? experiencing this all over again. This isn't something that's followed. No,
1: not at this point. Now, Matt kind of confided in me that he thought something and followed them you know, maybe the first house they had moved to. But at this point everything's quiet and, and and you know safe. I think it might be the most important part. Yeah. But
2: Wow. And uh well that's good and no no ill effects on the on the children. Everything seems to be uh okay.
1: Yeah, everything seems to be going pretty well. Yeah. Um in fact I think her her youngest actually did a book report on the book for his English class. Well, I, 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 that's probably healthy,
2: you know, in a way. If they if they can, if they can <laughs> sure. talk about it and go through it, I mean, that's. Um, so now, has this changed what you're going to do in the future? Now, I, now when this book comes out, and uh, you're doing, are you going to continue doing this type type of research and writing, or do you? If it kind of swung you that way, or, or? Well, I've
1: I've I guess what I'm looking at now is is, is uh, I don't want to know too much. Not because I'm scared of it, but because I'm afraid if if I know too much, there won't be any mystery left for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if I've got it all figured out, then then the mystery, the mystery dies a little bit. The magic dies a little. But I, I have a feeling I'm always going to have one foot in this this arena because I mean the book hasn't even been officially released yet, and I've already had people coming to me and and talking to me about things that they're not comfortable talking to other people about, these experiences, these phenomenon, concerns about them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, it, it, it's it's interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, why do you um, think that, that is
2: But I mean, nowadays, um, uh, with so many ghost shows, like I see UFOs still being a little bit... Um, You know, if you start talking that you've been abducted and and probed, uh, people kind of yeah okay. But when you're right, but the ghosts are I've been accepted pretty um pretty mainstream really, uh, Mm hauntings and ghosts Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So why do you think people are still really um, scared to talk about it? In that, like for instance, with them, why why is it sort of um,
1: it doesn't fit. Into, it doesn't fit into their reality, it doesn't fit into their paradigm, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the problem with our society is if you talk too loudly about it, you get slammed down, you know? You, you, you people start looking at you like, oh, okay, what's wrong with you? You know? Yeah. Um, as opposed to, well, maybe, you know? Maybe something strange is going on. And I think the other thing is that maybe our definitions are a little bit too strict as well. You know what I mean? Like we say haunting, we say ghost. Therefore, you know, in popular culture and mass media, it must be the spirit of a dead person or it must be a a demon or something. You know what I mean? We're we're afraid to, to open those definitions up a little bit and say, well, maybe it's, it's, it's something else that we haven't considered yet. You know? Um, you know maybe maybe it's a glimpse in another reality Maybe it's a glimpse back through time you know maybe it's, it's uh, another dimension um, maybe it's none of those things like I said maybe it's something that you don't even you know comprehend yet yeah but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, restrictions on on how far you can take it it's fine as entertainment you know like you said and the ghost hunter shows and everything but you, you start talking about it in your personal experience too much and that's when people start to to worry about you instead of, you know, trying to understand and and possibly, you know, coming to a conclusion, well, maybe that really is going on, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. But
1: there again, we go back to the whole thing, it's like you can't get someone to believe until they see it, until they experience it, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if it's not in their own personal world, they... They might not understand it. It just uh, mm-hmm. it just finds it. It just seems a little bit strange that it's something that's fairly mainstream, but yet at the same time, it still induces the fear to talk about it. And that's um, you know that's too bad.
1: You know. Yeah. It's uh, what did I read? Um, there's, a, there's there's an old quote. I can't remember who said it, but uh, it goes something along the lines of. Everybody wants to hear the ghost story, but nobody wants to see the ghost. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <That's> nobody, <true. laughs> nobody wants to be the one in the ghost story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know,
2: it's, uh, I think what happens is you have to question then, um, if someone tells you that they're having a, an experience in their house or at work with a the haunting, mm-hmm. then you have to challenge your own beliefs then.
1: Sure. Sure.
2: I think that might be an issue as Definitely. well. Definitely. Right, because then I have to kind of go. Well, this person—do I believe them? Are they nuts? Or have mm-hmm. what I thought about ghosts and whatever God religion is wrong? I, mm-hmm. I think that sort of maybe sometimes and
1: that, that might actually be, be scarier than contemplating that you know <laughs> ghosts yeah. are real. If you have to, if you have to step back and, and 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 reexamine everything you've been taught and everything you believe, everything that you know you've learned. That's pretty scary. That's pretty terrifying. Yeah, yeah. That's a
2: big, big change. Well, yeah, because the, the longer a belief's been in your life, uh, you center everything on that. That's one of the many formulas you build your life on. So I mean, mm-hmm. if you're 50 mm-hmm. years old and then you go, wow, you mean there is such a thing as this, and then you kind of have to challenge everything you've done in 50 years.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I just like, uh, I would think that would be kind of, you know a little bit uh, unsettling
1: uh, <laughs> um, definitely yes
2: so, um so now, how do people uh, get a hold of you now if someone else has a story they want to present to you or maybe they uh, know something about this or they want to comment on your book, do you have a website or something or
1: uh, I don't currently have a website um, I just uh have a, you know my my personal email address, which is uh dr. Birchill. B u r c h i l l at gmail
2: Right. Well, it's better anyway. Now, uh, <laughs> websites are kind of out of date.
1: <laughs> and it's, it, yeah, in this day and age. Um, <laughs> but it's. And I should make it clear, though, I'm not an expert on any of this. So. Oh, no,
2: no. <laughs> no, I mean, this is like, a, you know, it's it's a book you've written and stuff. It's just that sometimes, sure, sure, you know, people will and and. Uh, You will get comments, you know, good
1: and bad. Yeah. And actually, that you know, that's we're talking about uh, writing. Um, That that's been my suggestion. I just made that suggestion to someone who came to me with um, uh, some experiences that they had had, some some you know entities that they had been seeing and and phenomena that was occurring. It was all very chaotic, and I said, you know, write it. Take the chaos and, and make it into some kind of order, you know, because in my opinion, writing is a kind of magic as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're creating this world. You're, you're, you're giving it structure and form, narrative and dialogue and characters. You're making sense of it all. And I, I think it's also therapeutic and creative. Um, but I mean, I suppose you could say that about any kind of art that you can bring, you know, bring in to deal with some kind of trauma along those lines
2: yeah I think so I think it's a good thing to uh it helps you kind of work it out in your in your mind mm-hmm. you know it's a good thing so not a bad thing yeah, yeah. well um this has been certainly interesting and um, I'm glad you took the time to uh talk about your new book
1: oh, it's been a pleasure I enjoyed talking with you.
0: you've been listening to the House of mystery radio show. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now.